Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum radio show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for, bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to answer life's hard questions the same way Jesus did. I have the privilege today of interviewing a personal friend and very accomplished scientist, Jeff Banning. Jeff got his PhD in organic chemistry and has spent his career inventing in the fields of dye, polymer, and organic synthesis. Jeff was a fellow at Xerox Corporation for many years and holds over 150 U.S. patents. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, Jeff, for those in our audience who may be a little less technical, what does a polymer scientist do every day? And how do you go about, you know, manipulating molecules to invent, a, let's say, a new inkjet printer dye color? So, really, when we say polymers, the best way to look at it or think of it is just plastics. As far as manipulating dyes, I wasn't actually trained to do that in school, even though I'm colorblind. I fell in love with dye chemistry because it's colorful and uh, <laughs> kind of an obvious thing. But uh, so most, most chemicals that are made, if you think about like a aspirin or Tylenol, they're just white. Mm. When you start working with dyes, then everything becomes very colorful. So basically one learns to actually make kind of in a sense from the ground up a dye, then you learn how to tweak the shade or to manipulate certain appendages on it to make it so that it's compatible in certain systems or whatever. I hate to say that it's not as hard as it sounds, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but when you, s you spend a career slowly building on that, it does somewhat become easy. But a couple of times in my career, had opportunities to leave the lab and become part of management. And it was one of those things where I talked to my wife, we prayed about it both times. And I really just love being in the lab. And the mm -hmm. reason I left the first company, and I developed that successful product line was because they didn't really have a tier that was to stay in technology in the lab for your career. And so I had to make a choice. And again, after prayer, I left that company and, and that product line continued on to, even to this day. I'm not quite sure. Hopefully that answered your question. <laughs> well, for those of us who just kind of see colors as attributes of things that, you know, flowers and grass and trees, what is it about the molecule that gives it a color? And it sounds like as you were describing that, you were saying, is it something in the physical shape that gives us different hues? There's actually a website it talks about 15 ways color can be generated. And it's funny you say the shapes because the coloring, like in bird feathers and things like that, quite often are not dyes. That is generated as one of the 15 that it's the way the light hits. The, it'll have like little crevices and the way the Lord made those feathers and everything. And the way the light then hits it and refracts or reflects back generates color. But generally speaking, when it comes to dyes, what happens is white light hits it. And then let's say, for example, if you have a blue dye, that means the yellow portion of the light that hits it. And if it's a blue object, the yellow radiation is absorbed. 
and the remaining mixture actually reflects off of it or is transmitted through it and hits your eye to stimulate your cones in a way that we see that as blue. Wow. What a cool system, like you said, giving God the glory that the Creator designed to give us such rich diversity in the world around us. I'm sure God could have made everything black and white, but it wouldn't have been as interesting. (laughs) That's right, yeah. Now, you say that you're colorblind, so when you invent something that's a little more green than green or a little more red than red or whatever, and if you personally can't perceive the difference, (laughs) can you look at the molecule and say, yeah, I know what kind of green that green is going to be or whatever. We have access to color scientists, actually a branch of physics. They kind of map dyes in the XYZ coordinate. They call it LAB. So what they do is they come to me and say, like, for example, your magenta is not blue enough. So then I know what to do on a molecular level to tweak it to make it more blue is what oh, it comes wow. down to. And for you, it's really a geometry thing. When you think of colors and you try and translate between the language of blue that this color scientist has interpreted through the cones in their eyes, do you still think in colors and then you translate them back into geometry? Or would you say that your native language has become geometry? I guess I've never really thought of it quite that way. And generally speaking, I can look at a dye molecule and make a pretty good guess as to what color it is. Well, that's really cool. I know as another example, there's a gentleman, his name is George Church, and he's very prominent in genetics. And he has a condition called narcolepsy, which I don't know if you've heard of it, but you Mm -hmm. basically fall asleep at random times without control. You just immediately fall asleep. So he's this brilliant scientist, and he's imagining all these really complex ideas in genetics. And somebody said, well, hey, your narcolepsy, do you think of that as a disability or a disadvantage? He actually considers it an advantage. He thinks that he would not have the breakthroughs that he's been able to achieve without his narcolepsy. So it somehow actually made him a better scientist in his field of expertise because you know, maybe it's sharpened his focus in these other areas. So when you've thought about color blindness as a color chemist, <laughs> has it, in your experience, been something that you've had to overcome? Or has it been a blessing, a way that God has made you a better color chemist being colorblind? I'm in the classic shades of red and green colorblind. Okay. So it's really color deficient. Right. But yeah, I've often thought that it probably works to my advantage. Oh, that's cool. How have you seen the wonders and power of God on display at that level that a lot of people just don't have the privilege of seeing? The greatest challenge in my career came from about 2001 to 2006. The company I worked for, they were changing their ink base for their printers and they needed a whole new set of dyes made, you know, cyan, yellow, magenta, and black. A huge team of probably you know, 40 people were working, in a sense, on it. But I was tasked to, to actually, in a sense, to invent or synthesize. So synthesize means to make mm. those molecules. Sometimes I would sit in meetings as all the chemists and engineers reported for, it turned out that it was a total of six dyes that I invented 
that were commercially used for that particular project, which has generated literally billions of dollars wow. because the ink is the exp- we have to expensive recoup- part. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the printers are sold at a loss. But yes. but anyway, I would literally would just as they were all reporting and pass just praising God in my mind. Mm. And I remember coming home and sharing that with my kids because I want them to know that every good and perfect gift comes from above, Scripture tells mm. us. And I wanted them to know that I don't take that lightly. I serve the Creator. Mm. And so I sometimes say that I have the inside track to being creative in the way the Lord has wired me, just praising God in my heart. And I felt it was very important for me to share that with my kids at dinner. I mean, I let him know. I just sat there in awe as all of that happened. And I have always sought to make sure that my life and my work ethic, the way I treat people, has always been Christ-honoring. Because, mm. face it, we are living epistles. Yeah. Those that work close to me know I'll say things like, when people say, well, Jeff's invented these, I quite often will say that the Lord has allowed me to invent those. Mm. So I try to always give credit where credit is due, <laughs> and as well as to other colleagues who help me on it too. It's been a wonderful career, especially the dye portion. And I shouldn't say that, especially, I just love color aspect of it. Mm. I can imagine your kids, they're proud of what dad is doing, and they're excited to hear you explain, hey, I, I finally had a breakthrough on Cyan, <laughs> you yeah. know, it was it was that third appendage there in the middle of the molecule that had to be longer, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah. Did you ever have a chance to share with some of your colleagues in a way that gave God the glory, or was that something that was kind of difficult to do in a highly technical environment? I have my approach. You know, it's interesting, and I think probably a lot of the listeners would agree if you start a new job or a new colleague comes in or you meet someone there's certain buzzwords that you kind of put out there (laughs) first of all to see if they are a believer right and sometimes you know you find out that they are but you know i have been fortunate that the highest percent maybe about 15 percent of my colleagues have been believers Um, it's not that way right now but it does go up and down. But I mean, I've had opportunities and usually I think about First Peter 3.15, it tells us that we're always to be ready to give an account for the hope that's in us. Mm. I had a colleague, for example, he was on a business trip, work business trip, came home and his wife had left him. They didn't have any kids. And I got a call from a mutual friend that he was held up threatening to take his life. And so a couple of us went and we talked him out of it. And then I shared with him that night even. I remember when he finally let us in the house, I gave him a huge hug and Mm. told him I loved him. And uh, he was the one who had, in a sense, brought me. Well, the Lord actually brought us out. And so then I was able to share the gospel. And then for about six months to a year, it probably went even longer than that. But for six months, almost every day at lunchtime would go for a walk and he would ask questions about my faith. I got him reading the Bible and I believe he truly came to know the Lord. And so I was in a sense discipling him. I looked to share my faith with my colleagues in increments. Hmm. I always want to make sure that I'm a good testimony while I'm at work. Right. There are times I'd like to tell somebody off sometimes, <laughs> but um, if I have to, I have to set somebody straight. I will. I'll do it kind of, in a sense, gently, but firmly. Yeah. Then I often, I'll tell myself, in a hundred years, 
will this really matter? Mm. Because in 100 years, hopefully in 100 years, I'll have the opportunity so that they'll be with the Lord and make it a habit. On Mondays, I've tried to do this throughout my whole career, as I'm going to work, pray by name for all the folks who don't know the Lord in my research group Mm. and pray for opportunities, you know, and and I've had situations where a couple of them had cancer. And so Mm. I'll go up to them and I'll tell them that I'm praying for them. Mm. You know, I start out, you might say incrementally in the case of the gentleman who his wife left him, it wasn't incremental. It was just like flat out the situation warranted being able to flat out share my faith. And usually about every year at that date, he usually will email me and remind me of how he's kind of, in a sense, saved his life twice, so to speak. Jeff, what a beautiful picture of God using not only your intellectual discipline and achievements to kind of gain that credibility and respect in a work environment, but also that love and compassion for a fellow human being and bringing those two things together to, as you said, just be a wonderful testimony, a wonderful light to someone who's in the darkness and mm-hmm. a wonderful picture of love and compassion and caring to someone who's hurting. Well, there is a very common misconception in our culture today that science and faith are at odds. This manifests itself you know, several different ways. Maybe that science has disproven the Bible, or if you're intelligent, you certainly can't be a Christian, or something like that. What's been your personal experience in this area? Have you found a conflict between the scientific engineering side of you and the biblical Christian side of you? Have you ever felt that tension? Well, you know, I don't know that I have. I do see it in colleagues. I mean, I remember one of my colleagues who was a physical chemist overheard him talking to somebody and saying that the Schrodinger wave equation actually proved that evolution was true. I never heard the end of it. It was beyond my <laughs> capability, so I didn't I didn't step into it. But I had opportunities to talk to that scientist as years went on. Occasionally I have the opportunity to kind of step back and look at what God has done in my life for his glory. And this is not what my first choice was, mm-hmm. okay? And I hadn't even taken chemistry in high school. What occurred to me through reading the scriptures throughout my life, First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 or 31 tells us that, consider your calling, brethren, that there are many not wise according to the flesh, not many noble, but it says God has chosen the foolish things of this mm-hmm. world to shame the wise, and God has chose the weak things. And so I've come to the conclusion that I must be weaker than others, you might say. It being painfully honest, a lot of my colleagues, I mean, in terms of just straight IQ, I know they're smarter than I am. (laughs) You might say the equation is different variables, and when God is one of those variables, for whatever reason, he chose me to do this. And Mm. I, I literally have had colleagues pull me aside and ask, how did you learn to do this? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, gee, this is a nice opening. You know what I mean? Thanks for the vote of confidence. (laughs) Well, exactly. I didn't go to the top tiered schools or anything. 
And I always tell people when I tell them that, I said, if you have the opportunity to go to a top tier school, don't say, well, Jeff Bannington, so I'm not going <laughs> to. You know what I mean? You go to the top tier school. You know, it's just an amazing thing for me as I look back to have the respect of colleagues. They all, to one degree or another, know that I am a person of faith and that faith that I know has brought me to where I am. It's been a really wonderful journey. It has. I once in a while, I mean, I do, I look back, I am in awe at times, like, mm. and I'll ask, why me? Why did you choose me, mm. okay, to be mm. one of your children? Because yeah. ultimately, that's the greatest gift. Amen. What a, what a great picture of, several times God talks about how he can bless us more when we do give him the credit and when Amen. we've got that kind of foundational humility not to let it go to our heads and not to put the focus and the glory on us, but to redirect that to him. So that's really cool. Well, I know that in that testimony you sent me, you had mentioned that you got to work with Max Weaver from Mm -hmm. uh, Eastman. And I know he was probably one of those world-renowned chemists that you said you had the honor of, Mm -hmm. of working with. In the little bit of research that I did, it sounds like he was a believer he was. Uh, and how, it, did that ever come up? I don't know oh, how yeah. much you interacted with him or what yep. kind of a testimony was he able to give being this just unbelievably accomplished and renowned scientist, but having this Christian faith that was so much a part of who he was. Yeah. When I met him, he was about my age right now. The other gentleman, John Griffiths, was a, from England. He would come every six months and Max, he was just up in Tennessee, so he'd come to South Carolina once a month. Okay. And so we'd get together, and I would, I always tell people when both of them were there, we could sign up to be in a conference room and ask them any questions. And so just okay. me with them. Wow. And I always referred to it as throwing pearls to swine. And I was the, sw- <laughs> I was the swine, let me tell you. Um, it was, I just like soaked up the knowledge that they had and what they could share with me and stuff. And sure. But Max, we hit it off really well. And he came every month and probably a third of our two together was talking about the Lord. Wow. And he was like a lay pastor even. Wow. I remember when he visited out here, I remember him just asking me to pray, especially for his wife. Hmm. But his faith just never wavered. He also had me look up a former colleague of his that he really wanted to share the gospel with. And so I was able to find him because hmm. Max couldn't navigate the web wow. quite as well. And yeah. so I found he got him his number and everything. So thank you for asking. I know as a fellow homeschool dad, the topic of equipping our children to know and defend their faith as something reasonable, not a blind faith, but a clear critical, Mm -hmm. analytical thinking kind of faith. I know that topic is near and dear to your heart as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Matter of fact, I was talking with my daughter just this past week, and your chemistry class in co-op came up, and she said, that was one of my all-time favorites (laughs) to this day. Well, good, good. Yeah, so it, it is kind of a neat way of passing on that passion and that expertise yet in the light of a biblical worldview uh, Mm -hmm. to our children. So thank you, and she says thank you as well. I guess the last question I would have is, how do you think we in the church, as fathers, as mothers, as adults in the church, how do you think we can equip the next generation of Christians to engage effectively with a culture that seems so hostile against our Christian faith today? 
it's a great question. And for me, one of the things that grieves me most is that a huge number of these young adults, even that were Christian homeschooled and everything, yeah. are, in a sense, leaving the faith. And so as the kids were littler, whenever I was home alone, my wife and all the kids were gone, yeah. you know, maybe once a month, mm. you know, gone for like an hour and a half or whatever. And mm. there would be a tendency for me to want to take a nap or whatever. Right. But what I would do is I'd literally go kneel at the foot of every one of their beds, mm. one after another, wow. and lift up every aspect, the spiritual being the most important, but yeah. even emotional, intellectual, and physical mm. aspects of their lives. And that it would all bring the Lord the glory. And so mm. obviously we want to live our faith in front of our children. They're going to see us for who we really are. Mm. When the cults come knocking at the door and they hear my wife or I interacting and basically, I mean, I hate to say doing battle, but it is a sure. spiritual battle. Yeah. How we interact with relatives who don't know the Lord and how we are trying to be able to share our faith. And then we had a pretty, I mean, I hate to say comprehensive family time, a devotion time, mm. maybe five evenings a week. And Elsie Eggermeyer, I don't know, in the 1930s or 40s or whatever. Yep, wrote, we have the Eggermeyer Bible. <laughs> okay. So what yeah. we would do, I mean, and we would read through that. The story was real short. We'd yeah. read through a couple. And then we'd talk about what the message was. Mm. And then we'd pray. But what I would do is when kids were learning to read, we'd have them read it. Mm. So it was, they got a chance to read out loud. We'd all be in the living room. And it was a great way, again, trying to get them to realize how important this being in the Word of God is. And then as I got older, then doing all I could do to facilitate making them read the Bible every day, kind of a, a habit, a habitual thing. Mm. And, you know, those are the kind of things that we try to really live our faith out for them. I mean, again, they know us for who we really are. I mean, right. and they've seen us mad or frustrated or whatever. But, and even now, I still, when I'm alone, I still, when the girls are older, I didn't go into their rooms. I would actually kneel at their door. Mm. And so to this day, I still do that when I'm home alone. So... I just can't ever pray enough, to <laughs> be mm. honest. In this world, you know, I get a chance to Skype or FaceTime or talk mm. with the ones who live out of state or whatever, stationed in the service out of yeah. state, and to what, encourage what a, them. What a great continued picture of humility and reminder that, yeah, so much of this is in the Lord's hands. Amen. To be able to trust Him and, and appeal to Him. Boy, you know, if an unjust judge will mm -hmm. listen to and be moved by our constant humility and persistence, how mm -hmm. much more would a loving, just God Yep. Amen. Moved? So that's, yep. that's really good. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for this time on the radio today. I have benefited so many times just from my career, the mentoring and the conversations that you and I have had many, many times over the years and just watching your example as a father, as a man of God and somebody who lives out their faith and someone who has been given the gift of so many wonderful scientific achievements and yet maintains a humility and a thankfulness to the God who gave you those gifts and has allowed Amen. you to do his work. And so thank you for being on the radio today. No problem. My pleasure. And Give the Lord again all the credit. All right.
Well, how about you? You may not be able to claim to be an accomplished dye color scientist who is colorblind, but how has the Lord gifted and equipped you to fulfill your calling to bring him glory? When you read the Bible, does it seem like a bunch of unrelated and irrelevant stories? Or is it the foundation of your thinking and worldview, as Jeff described it? It's something that you want to pass down to your children and grandchildren. You can visit our website at theambassadorsforum.com to browse some of our helpful resources and begin your journey of discovering the compelling truths of the Bible today. Finally, thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 